you doing? Putting daylight saving time in its place. Anybody have acid? Yeah. Still an hour for me last spring, and it's not. I repeat, not getting another one. You know you get that hour back, right? Or you just you save clocks back in the fall and get that hour back. But I destroyed all the clocks. How am I supposed to get that hour back? How? Don't get to uh, such clocks back so you can um, get, get the hour back. Give me your watch. No, no.
Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Gary Gould, and I serve on the missions team here at Richview. And uh, it is my great privilege this morning, as part of our missions moment, our monthly missions moment, uh, to introduce two very special people to you. Uh, Dr. Paul, or, I was thinking of Paul Allen, but uh, there is a connection to Richview. I'm introducing Dr. Uh, Stephen Foster and his uh, wife Peggy. But many years ago, some of you remember Paul Allen, and Paul Allen went out to Angola, and it was because of um, Stephen and Peggy that he became involved with AEF, which is now SIM. So uh, I'd like to ask them to come up, and they're going to speak to us for about 10 or so minutes. Uh, they serve as medical missionaries in Angola. Uh, they went out in 1978, is that correct? You were about 10 at the time? I was. Yes. Yeah, 11. And Stephen was about 35. Okay, great. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to give you the microphone. You can share your ministry with, you, with, uh, with us. We're very excited that you're here. Thank you for Thank coming. You. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be back here again. It's been a while. And, uh, People can see us. Okay. So, yes, we went out to Angola in 1978 with two children, a two-year-old and a seven-month-old. Angola's uh, civil war had started in 1975. We happened to be there for that. <laughs> The nice thing is that we were there when it ended in 2002. But we went out with two children, and we um, had two more. So Rebecca, Heather, Rob, and um, Rachel. They Rebecca in Botswana, Rachel in Angola, Heather in Germany, and Rob in Kuwait. So we're scattered all over, but we do manage to get together. Um, as was mentioned, uh, we're part of a medical mission, uh, mission um, and we are with SIM. I am not medical. I'm a social worker. I work with senior citizens, and God has gracious, of course, I'm, you know, <laughs> but anyway, um, empathy. So I um, have enjoyed uh, a real ministry, even in Angola, um, in, in this. Um, I'm also a musician, I teach music, piano, I teach in a small school, and um, yeah, kept very busy with hospitality and so on. But I'm gonna pass this to Steve to tell you about the medical work which has been very significant over these last 38 years. We've lived on a mission station in the bush, we've lived in the city, and um, God has really blessed us with uh, a wonderful ministry and wonderful friends. Yeah, I was just trying to think, um, in the early 1960s, my dad uh, came here and spoke at uh, Richview when um, Roy Comrie was in Bible school. And then in the 70s, we went to Angola, and you folk got behind us in the early 80s, and my goodness, this relationship has gone on, and we're just uh, grateful. Yeah, these last uh, 10 years, this last weekend, a week and a half ago, just before we left Angola on the 16th, we celebrated 10 years of the, the Evangelical Medical Center of Lubango's existence. That um, center came into being primarily through the prayers of God's people in central Angola where a third of the population of 24 million, and some of you are scratching your heads where Angola is and the geography of things, and there's some pictures back up there 
that uh, we sent in just to give you an idea of what a little medical center looks like. But um, this, the Alliance of Evangelical Churches now represents a third of Angolans, and uh, the challenge was and has been the destruction of health care for rural peoples in Angola. Half of the country, that's 12 million people, about the size of the province of Ontario, both countrywide and population-wide, have no medical care whatsoever. So try to put yourself in a place where it's the most dangerous country in the world now to be a mother or to raise a gaggle of kids. If you want to have kids survive past five in Angola, you better produce eight or ten of them because a third of them will not be alive by their fifth birthday. And those facts continue to be a reality in Angola despite the fact that we ship more oil than Nigeria. These last four months, Angola has been Africa's, Sub-Saharan Africa's largest oil producer, producing some two million barrels a day. Well, the oil dropped in price from 100 bucks a barrel two years ago down to the 30s and 40s, and now back up to 48. Well, the problem has been that Angola was totally dependent on our oil income and didn't do very much other than to line the pockets of the president and his daughter and a few hundred thousand others. Ordinary Angolans are still living on two bucks a day. So we've been challenged to build a medical center where we would try to take from the rich and cover the costs and hand on to the poor what we can do. So over the last 10 years, we've had 75,000 patients come through the doors of the place and actually take home a patient-retained medical record. We've operated on some 15, 16,000 people through those years. About uh, uh, 10,000 people have got their cataract removed, courtesy of one of the docs working, Steve Collins, my colleague, who's 78 and still going strong. So none of you retiring uh, docs in Ontario tell me you've got nothing more to do than play golf in Florida. We can recycle you and take you out and teach you to do cataract surgery in three months. And some of you guys could turn the blind uh, around. One of the fastest growing demographics in Angola is the over 60 crowd. We're doing total hips in Angola. So if you want a cheap total hip, we can do it for you. And fast. You don't have to wait around for the months of waiting here. The OHIP wants you to sit around for. You can get your visa to Angola. It'll take you three months to do that. That's faster than the waiting list for an OHIP uh, total hip. I wasn't planning to say that, but here we are. Um, but there's some wonderful things that God's doing in the process of we thought if we built a hub and we put a few spokes in it, we would see God reach into the unreached peoples groups of southern Angola. And so the little medical center with 42 beds has become a hub where seven or eight of us as physicians anchor what's happening in the periphery. And in the periphery, doctors are discovering and sending in by Mission Aviation Fellowship and stuff. We're just uh, seeing patients time and again brought in by a small plane from hundreds of kilometers away. Because when you're trying to get your mind around the, the country of Angola, you've got to think Jacksonville, Florida, New Orleans, Chicago, Boston. That's the size of the country of Angola. And 
put yourself in a place where one doc for 50,000 people. And then ask yourself how long you're going to have to wait to see a physician. And then ask yourself what do seven or eight docs do against such huge needs. So it's been fun. My hands are getting stiff. I um, saw Gordon here, and he, he's 20 years on from us. But my goodness, I'm glad. Uh, what a privilege, Gordon, to connect. But, you know, when you get up into your late 60s, you start, people ask you the question, when are you going to retire? And I, I don't know that that's in God's vocabulary. I'm not sure it's in mine. And, um, yeah, I'm glad uh, OAS and... Um, federal government saw fit to add to some of our costs, so hey, that's all, uh, all to the good. But um, we're having fun, and uh, we count on people like you coming to visit us, and we would love to see teams of people come in our home church in Little Trinity, downtown Toronto, sent us a team three years ago. We'd love to think some of you would love to come and visit us, too. And, uh, and some of you docs who want to get retreaded and discover what you can do when you turn 65, um, you'd be more than welcome. Hey, we're having fun. Thank you. Can I just ask you, if people want more information about your ministry, is there a website or an email address they could send some uh, questions The easiest to? thing to go to is the ceml.net. C-E-M-L. It's a Portuguese, basically, for Centro Evangelico de Medicina do Lubango. I'll go with ceml.net. Net. Okay, we'll great. get you our website and get full contact. Great, and they're going to be staying around afterwards. For those of you that signed up last week, we're having a luncheon with them. I don't think you're doing cataract surgery in there, are you? Promise. Promise, okay, maybe a new hip. Uh, so <laughs> um, what we'll do now, if we can, we can pray for you, yeah. uh, and we will continue to pray for you uh, throughout the, uh, the next course of the time. You head back to Angola at the end of uh, November. That's great. So can we pray as a church together? Dear God, we thank you for the fosters. We thank you for their years of service, Father, their love for you. Thank you that they know you and that they go into dark places with the light of Jesus, Father. Thank you for the way you've watched over them, for the opportunities you've given to them. Thank you that they saw the end of the war. Thank you that they continue to see a war, Father, a war, a spiritual warfare, God. We pray your protection upon them. We ask that you watch over them, guard them, keep them, make their travels easy, bring the right people into their lives, and uh, I just pray even for Stephen's hands that you keep them nimble, keep them, uh, keep them working, Father. And thank you that retirement is not something that uh, is in your vocabulary. God, keep us working all, all of us working for your service, Father. Again, we commit the fosters to you. We just pray your protection. We thank you for them. And we just uh, are grateful for people like this, Father, who are willing to step into this place, Father, to leave home and comfort, Father, to serve you in a faraway place. And may each one of us take a encouragement from that this morning that we would serve you where we are and that we can do what we will do for you. And we just thank you for them when we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank, thank you, brother. Thank, thank you, you so sister. Much. Yeah. Wow, I've got the tough job now. I've got to follow that up. Good morning. Pardon? Good morning. Oh, you're alive. That's wonderful. 
Wasn't it nice of Pastor Joe to put an easel up here with, you know, with a marker? So, hey, I can write my name down. Uh, okay. I'll leave it clear for you, Pastor Joe. Good morning. My name is John Christopher. Welcome to Richview Baptist Church. We are so happy you are here. If this is your first time, please take a moment to fill out the visitor information card because we'd love to know that you've been here and we'd like to pray for you and to get to know you a little better and that's the best way to do it. So please fill out one of those cards if you're brand new here. Now, lots happening here at Richview Baptist Church. If you don't have one of these, you ain't gonna know anything. So please pick one of these up from the ushers and look it over, pray it over throughout the week. You'll know what's going on here, what's happening, all the fantastic things going on, because this is a busy place. And we're so glad that you can be part of it. And this is how you can be part of it, by having one of these and seeing what's going on. When the service is over today, we like to leave the sanctuary as a place of quiet for a reflection on the word that was spoken today for, for some prayer and just a time to, to maybe meditate with God. So once the service is over, if, if you so desire, please go out into the foyer and have some coffee and catch up with your friends and neighbors and have a great time. But for others who wish a time of quiet reflection, please stay behind. And if you so desire, someone can pray with you if you need that this morning. That would be great. It's great to have the Fosters here. We're so happy for them being here. And it's great that all of you are here. And we are in the house of the Lord. And Jesus is here. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that the Fosters are here. Thank you that you are among us this morning. We just pray, Lord, for uh, Pastor Joe as he brings your word to us. Give him the boldness that he needs to bring the word in such a way that we can understand and take it home with us. Help us, Lord, to reflect on the word and hide it in our heart and use it throughout the week. We just ask you, Father, that you'll be with all of us here today. Help us to concentrate on you. Help us to worship you to know you better. See us all safely home afterwards. Give us a good time in the foyer, catching up with each other, and God bless us throughout the week that's to come. In your powerful name we pray, amen. If the ushers would come forward, we'll also pray for the offering as well. <clears throat> God, we thank you for, for everything that you've given us from not just the financial, but also the, the talents, the abilities, the, the, the way that we can uh, express worship to you, whether it's our time, whether it's um, our resources, God. We just, in hearing about what's happening in Angola, God, we are so incredibly blessed to have so incredibly much. And so, God, we, uh, we just pray that we would be cheerful givers in this church and that, and that we can honor you through, through this. Um, and all the other ways that we that we sacrifice in order to um, to grow your kingdom in Christ's name, Amen.
can wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the me mm-hmm. 
Morning. A uh, quick announcement, but tomorrow is Halloween. Whoop! Um, and uh, no matter what your feelings are about Halloween, it's something that's always perplexed me on that day, is it's the one day of the year people open their doors to strangers, and I can never understand why Jehovah Witnesses aren't out and about that night, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm going to tell my friend. But uh, tomorrow we're going to be meeting here at dark with any kids, and if you have kids, bring them. And uh, junior high, and some of them are going to be here as well. And what we're doing is we're going to be going in the neighborhood. We've canvassed this whole survey that we've given them bags. We're going to be going tomorrow night when it's dark and, yes, gathering candy. But more importantly, which I think is very intentional, cool, is we're going to be um, getting food for the food bank in return. So um, why am I sharing this? This has been announced for several weeks. First of all, we'd love to have you here. If you want to help receive the food, help us put it in the boxes. Just be here for hot chocolate, hang out. Um, hear some of Jonathan Clark's really bad South African jokes. It's going to be a great night. Uh, but the one thing I'd love for you too is if you're able, we want to bless and really bless and overwhelmingly bless those who are giving up their night to help and help in this, in, in this intentional, really fantastic way. If you have candy, if you can go get candy, if you have access to whatever, we'd love to just overwhelm all those who are volunteering with candy. Not that 80-year-old hard candy you have in a bowl on your coffee table. You know what I'm talking about, the stuff that breaks teeth and dentists actually sell and give away for free so you'll visit them. But good stuff that we can just bless, you know, like boxes of chocolate bars. Really, I just want candy, and if you can bring me some, I'd appreciate it. But We'd love to bless them. So if you can't be involved tomorrow, that's one way you can be involved. And we'd love for you to be, help us just really, we want to bless the Daily Food uh, Bank and um, really fill up their shelves and, and redeem Halloween a little bit. So there we go. Um, we've been in the middle of a series asking good questions and talking about new ways of living so that God can do new things in our life. And we've been trying to expose certain words from Richview's vocabulary, words like exhaustion, being overwhelmed, being overscheduled. Last week, we talked about getting rid of confusion. And, and today, I want to spend some time, and I want to talk about resentment. I want to talk about resentment. And we're going to talk about it. And the metaphor I think that's going to be really helpful today is this idea of a hook. And, and what I think really happens, and I, and I, I think this, find this, very, this picture, this metaphor really, really helpful, is that when someone harms you, when someone wrongs you, when someone impedes your will, when someone just does something to you and hurts you, what do you do? And I would suggest, a picture that's been help, very helpful for me, is we put them up on a hook. And we keep them there. And, and, and perhaps we at some point, forgive them, whether they come to us or not, and we take them off the hook, and, and, and we'll get into that a bit further, but for the rest of the sermon today, I want you to think about who is the person that I have up on the hook? Can you do that for me? And so for the rest of the sermon, be thinking about who is it, and maybe it's many, that I have hanging, dangling there, 
and maybe this will help you. You know, I thought about putting a person here, but I didn't think that'd be effective visual, um, maybe a bit distracting, but who is that person? And be thinking about who do I have hanging there, dangling there, or oh, pastor, no one, think about it. Think about it, think about it, think about it. Let's pray, and then we're going to engage. Thanks, God. Thanks for providing access to you. Thanks for coming down to our level because we could never get to yours and making a personal relationship with you possible. Thank you for grace. And today, may that picture once again overwhelm us. And for some of us, give us the, point us to the freedom that you have made available in you and through you. As we just examine this very difficult topic once again, may we not be ever get tired of being a community that forgives. In your precious name, amen. All right. When someone wrongs you, when someone hurts you, when someone does something to you, yeah, you put them up on a hook, and what is delightful about it is when that person's dangling there, there's a certain amount of like, it feels good, doesn't it, sometimes? In some ways, it's, there's almost, it's like a contact, it's like a sport where you have this person up there, and isn't it nice? They're just dangling there, and, 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 I'm, and I, it feels good. Sometimes it's just fine and fun to watch that person dangle. One thing in my own life is I find often when it comes to the Sunday where I have to give a teaching, God likes to remind me that I have a lot of work to do on that subject. And so here's this week I'm preparing to talk about resentment, and God has this funny way of poking you throughout the week. So how are you doing in that department? Often, sometimes, he just brings the curveball at me so hard and fast, and, and how can I, in a clear conscience, ever stand before you and talk to you about mercy and forgiveness if I'm stomping on someone in my mind while I'm talking to you? And I'm talking to you about how far you fall short when in fact, man, I, I, who do I have up on the hook right now? And, and this picture of when we have someone up on the hook, what does it do? It poisons us. It poisons us from the inside out. And it keeps God from doing the work he really wants to do in our life. I got a picture here. This is what my um, computer laptop screen looks like most of the time, my desktop. But some of you will appreciate this, but have you ever noticed sometimes for those like myself that aren't all that computer literate, your computer slows down sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? And so you call in the computer person, the IT person, I, I can't even open this program that I use all the time. And they're like, um, and, and they're like, Joe, you got too many applications open. You got too much stuff on your desktop. I'm like, well, they're little applications. They're not even big applications. They're small. They're tiny. And they go, every application, every program you open up pulls energy from the source. And the more applications you have opened up diverts more power so that when you actually want to open up something or do something that's important, you can't because it's eating up all the energy. It's eating up the processor and you can't even do the simple things. And if you live a life where all your energy is consumed with resentment, you're not going to be able to get on with doing the most important things. Are you tracking with me? 
God wants you to be free. He did not die on the cross so that you could carry and leave someone dangling on that hook. And I want to tell you today, you don't have to have them hanging there anymore. You can be free. I want to read to you from um, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. But I'm going to do something different today, and I'm going to read to you. You can go to there in your pew Bibles if you want, or in your Bibles. But I want to read to you from a, uh, someone's story from a translation called The Message. So this guy's taken the Bible, and he's put it in a, in a contemporary language so it's more understandable for his readers. And I really, I really like how he captures this in a very readable fashion. But it's not a translation, it's a story of the translation. So stick with me for a minute, I'll have it come up on the screen. And it goes like this. At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I have to forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? And Jesus is like, the kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of a hundred thousand dollars. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance, and I'll pay it back. Touched by the plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant had no longer gotten out of the room when he came across one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, Pay up now! The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw what was going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you have been compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? Now, back in Jesus' day, the Jewish law, and in the context there, the Jewish law was you had to forgive someone three times, but you didn't have to forgive them a fourth. And Peter here, one of his followers, he's not asking, should I, how many times should I forgive total? It was, how many times should I forgive one person? So let's do the math, in case math's not your specialty. Jesus' response to that question is, how many times should you forgive? 70 times 7. All right? Someone to help me out here. 400 and... Oh, very good. Wow. Got some accountants in the house. This is good. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's great. And this tells us a little something about God. It tells us, actually, it tells us a lot about God and how he made people. He made us to be in relationships. He created us. He made us to be in relationships. And God's expectations for people is that if we wrong each other, we should forgive each other up to 490 times, 500 times in a relationship. It was his design that when you're in relationships with people, you should operate with an attitude and a heart of forgiveness. That's how he designed relationships. And this is so beautiful and helpful. Because a lot, of times, a lot of times when we talk about friendship or marriage relationships or family relationships, if, if, the, if someone hurts someone else, if something goes wrong in the friendship, the friendship is not over. 
If something goes wrong in the friendship, that is normal. I was brought up to believe married couples should not disagree. Married couples should not fight. Married couples, yeah, they shouldn't be raising their voices or physical alterations, but a good relationship, you should disagree. And, And it was hard when I was, you know, the first seven years of my married life, total bliss, never argued. After seven years, we started, and I'm like, what's wrong? But I also noticed when we actually started disagreeing, that's when our marriage actually became a marriage. We started sharpening. We actually started speaking truth in our lives. We went seven years without being honest with one another, treating each other like roommates. And wow, things changed because we had this idea that Christians shouldn't struggle and not be real. And God's design is that we will struggle and we better be prepared because that is what... um, I love how Lou Smead says this, and he writes this. Maybe. There it is. Forgiveness is God's invention for coming to terms with a world in which, despite their best intentions, people are unfair to each other and hurt each other deeply. He began by forgiving us, and he invites us us all to forgive each other. Brilliant book that he wrote there. But anyhow, back to the story. I I was sharing this parable with you, and the dollar amount that the king is owed is unbelievably high. It's not captured actually very well in the message. In, in, In the original translation, the dollar amount that the servant owes the king is the largest amount you can possibly think of. If you do the math from the original Greek, the amount that the king is owed as compared to the other, it's 600,000 times more than what the servant owes the other servant. 600,000 times. It's like I owe you, Sunju, a Pepsi. And I owe you, Joseph. Next slide. an entire building at bay and blore. <laughs> I, I stole this from the nursery, so you have to give it back, but I owe Tom here a Fisher-Price boat. <laughs> and I owe Ian a Boeing 747 jet. I mean, the picture trying to get 600,000 times more he owes the king than that other guy owes him. And, 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 and he's, Jesus is trying to paint this picture of how this much grace, this holy God has extended to us. And he's trying to get it across. It's not a small amount. It, it, it's not limited. It's for everything you and I have ever done wrong. Everything. For all the promises we've broken, for all our selfishness and pride, for our deception and greed, all the things that we have done and regret it, he came down, he paid the price. The things that we've done that hurt people, the mess. This morning, before I came to church, I often run into this guy and we were ch- chatting and he was telling me about, and we, we have a great relationship, but he, but he asked me, what are you preaching about this morning? And I said, I'm talking about forgiveness and resentment and how we need to forgive those people who hurt us. And he's like, what are you talking about? When someone hurts me, I wait for them to ask my forgiveness because they owe me, correct? 
And he's like, what do you mean? And I started explaining the hook thing. I go, if you put someone else up on a hook, who's really up on the hook? You are. No, but they're dangling. I put them up. They wronged me. They deserve to dangle. When you imprison yourself and allow resentment to brew, you're the one who suffers. Even more, I would say, than the person who caused you pain. And, and he's like, I, and I go, okay, where are you going? He goes, well, I'm going to Mass. And I go, well, how, many, how, many, how long have you been going to Mass for? 80 years. All right, and when I go to Mass, what do you go to Mass? What do you do at Mass? Well, we, we take the cup and, and, and the sacraments and we believe that it becomes Jesus' body and blood, and we partake in it, in Holy Communion. I go, is that it? And I was trying to, I was trying to, ask, you know, I, I go, do you not go to remember the price, the enormous price that Jesus paid for your debts? And the problem with this, and the challenge here, is you and I, that's the reason why we're here today to remember this and celebrate this, but it leaks. And we forget. We forget, even last week, that God came down the ladder. He came down to our level. No amount of good deeds you and I do, no amount of living morally, no matter of feeding the poor, being nice to our in-laws, none of that, no amount of giving money to the poor, climbing the ladder will get you to God. It's about God coming down to you and offering you this gift of grace that takes care of all your baggage so that you can have access to God. That's what it's all about. And the first thing, I need to stop right now, right here, because I I just got to be really clear. If you have not received that gift of grace, the rest of today is not going to make any sense to you. And I want to challenge you, if you've not experienced the freedom that accepting Christ's grace brings, man, you got... Can we just stop and pray right now? And will you pray with me? If you're at the point, man, I am tired of caring and trying to climb this ladder to get to God or whatever on my own. Maybe today's the day where you go, I just can't. Let's pray. Pray with me if you aren't here and you need this and you want to trust Jesus and you want to receive him. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving the world so much. Thank you for coming down and living the life that I couldn't live and dying the death I should have died. Thank you for taking all my garbage, all my shortcomings, all my mistakes, all the things I've done wrong on yourself. I want to trust in you now. I want to begin a new life with you. I want to receive that that free gift that you offer. I know I can't do it on my own. Begin a new work in my life today. In your name we pray. Amen. Most of you have been in churches. You've heard this before. You've heard this very prayer before, and you've heard it over and over again. And I'm just telling you something. As long as I'm here, I'm going to keep repeating this because we forget this. 
I'm going to do it at least 490 sermons on forgiveness. All right? You're like, hey, I heard this a couple months ago because this leaks. And we forget this. We forget this enormous debt that the king forgave for us. And how do I know this? Because we can't let people down from the hook. When we understand that God has paid for that entire condo building, uh, big and blore for us, yet we can't even let go someone taking a Pepsi from us, we have forgotten what grace is. And so I turned to this guy this morning on his way to Mass, and, and I'm just like, it is so easy to forgive someone who's wronged me when I think about how much Christ forgave me for. The least I can do is respond to that. But, but, but Joe, you don't know that abuse and that pain that that person, no, I don't. But trust me, it's nothing compared to what God has done for you. And if you want to be free, man, it is, so, it is so easy when we remember, you know what? Christ has taken us off the hook. We're no longer on the hook for all our stuff. Christ has freed us, taken us off on the hook. And what happens? When our big, enormous debt's been paid, what do we do? What's our response? Just like the guy in the story, whoo, happy-go-lucky, and then you, you remember, oh, so-and-so messed me up. And we fall right into, back into that same trap of making someone else pace. And Jesus is like, this is not the way my kingdom works. You need to follow my example. Follow my example. My example is grace. Step two, grace. And step three, grace. And Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, don't don't, don't take that power you've been forgiven since you've been taken off the hook, that new freedom, and stick it to people. You have to use that same freedom that I gave you to set other people free. I let you off the hook, and in turn, go around and let other people off the hook. That's how my kingdom works. There's only a couple times in Scripture where God says very clearly, if you won't do something, I won't do something. If you won't forgive, I can't forgive. I want to finish the rest of the story because I left off the end of it. And it says this. The king was furious and put screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. Now what's happening here? I mean, I don't know about you, but in Sunday school, I learned that God's grace is limitless, right? It, completely limitless, that he removes our sins as far from the east as from the west, that, 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 our, that we were scarlet, yet he's washed us as white as snow. And it seems weird that all of a sudden, there's this condition here, that he won't do something unless we do something. And this is important. This is not some arbitrary rule. It's not a condition. It's not a threat. What Jesus is describing, what he's trying to emphasize in this story is that he can't do his forgiving work in you unless you forgive others. It makes it really difficult. 
Your unforgiving will stand in the way of the work that God wants to do in you. If you, were, if you choose to withhold your forgiveness, you're never going to be set free. And he's like, you're going to be a hostage to your own resentment. I, I, this kind of picture helps me out a lot to think about this. But think about God's grace as the water. All right? And you got the dam there. And, and if God's grace represents the water, forgiveness flows. Forgiveness is the dam. Forgiveness flows through the dam. When you say, I'm going to put you up on the hook and I'm not going to let you down, I am not going to forgive you. You wronged me too much, too many times. What happens to the water supply? The mercy God wants to show us, it can't take root in our life if we don't allow it to. C.S. Lewis says it like this, the brilliant author. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Man, that guy can write. To be a Christian is to be a forgiver. If you're following along in your notes, you can write that one down 10 times. To be a Christian is to be a forgiver. To be a Christian is to be a forgiver. It's part of our identity. And if I wanted to put it in two simple ways, why do we forgive? We forgive because we want to be forgiven. And also, why do we forgive? We forgive because we want to be free. I don't know about you, but I like being forgiven, and I like being free. I I don't know if any of you here have ever had an extremely profound experience of grace. I had one when I was in grade 10. And in grade 10, I, I was so desperate to be cool. And Um, I I grew up in a very religious home, very staunch Baptist, very legalistic Baptist. I went to church Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, midweek. Anytime there was a church activity, I I looked the part too. I had the three-piece suit all the time. I was the kid in the church that all the older people said, that is a nice Christian boy. My hair, nice and short and combed to a side, not this bird's nest thing I got going on today. I looked the part, but at school, I so badly wanted to be accepted. I so badly wanted to be cool. I so badly wanted to get invited to all the parties and everything. And I was so bad at it. I kid you not, I could not be cool. Never could be, but man, sure, I sure tried hard. I would, like, I would dress to look like I didn't care, but I really cared. I would do everything. I hang out with the cool people. I would talk like the cool people. Couple side notes if you're taking notes today. Anyone who tries to be cool isn't cool, okay? You're either cool because cool people don't care about what anyone thinks or you're not. Also, anyone here over 22, can you put your hands up? Okay, mental check here. Teenagers think anyone over 22 is uncool, all right? Live with it, abide in it, accept it, you're off the hook. Get on with life. Stop trying to impress them. All right? We're fine there. Anyhow, I'm, I'm trying to be cool, trying to fit in. It's reflective in my, in my language, in my attitude, and I, I'm trying to do all these things. And I'm in, I'm in a music class one day, and I'm just mouthing off. I'm with some buddies, cursing, what, all these things. And the girl in front of us overhears us, and she's like the really goody two-shoe Christian girl. And I'm like, oh, no, she heard that. And as I'm leaving music class at the end of class, she's waiting for me. 
I'm like, oh, here it comes. Here comes the riot act. And she's like, hey, Joe, hey, Joe, you can do this. You can do this. Start today. And it changed the trajectory of my high school experience. And it wasn't about the swearing or just being an all-around jerk. The point was she showed me so much unmerited grace. And it made me want to be that kind of person. And it made me want to live up to what she thought of me. Up until that moment, I, I was looking for a way out the door. I, I, if she had told me off, I probably would have enveloped my life in this high school culture. Fitting in, trying to fit in, be like everyone else in high school. I know I wouldn't be here today. And it was in that moment, I mean, I was finally... If someone had been harsh with me at that moment, even though I deserved it, I knew it. I, I would have known it all along. What's Christianity all about? It's about rules. It's about regulations. It's about legalism. It's about looking fancy on Sunday morning from 1030 to 1145. But the rest of the week, I go home. I have a bad attitude. I mouth off at everybody. I, I let TV, Netflix, the internet dictate my thinking, my way of life. And my life is all about acquiring stuff. I knew it. I knew that was what churches was about and Christians were all about. And I was just looking for a reason. And she didn't give it to me. And she offered me the hand of grace. And I've known so many people who have been wrecked by legalism. Wrecked by unforgiveness. Wrecked even by a mistake they made in the church they were made, and nobody will let them off the hook. Every time they come in the doors, they're reminded by somebody, here's how you fell short. Here's your shortcomings. And her grace in my life changed everything that way. And, and you're like, Joe, that's such a small deal. Such a small deal. It was the tipping point in my life. It was a huge tipping point. Is there anyone in your life who needs a second chance? Or maybe a hundredth chance? Are you the kind of person who's really quick to give second chances? Are you the kind of person who's always looking for people to whom you can extend grace? I'm not saying, and by the way, I'm not saying that there's not a time for tough love. Like if your kid's about to reach for the hot stove... I think that's, a, don't do that. That's, that's okay. Especially if they're doing something wrong and they may need correction. But what would it look like for you to hold out your hand of grace? As long as you have that person up on the hook, you hold all the power. But you can be free and you can have a new future. Richard Rohr says this, and he says this so well. Forgiveness is always the refusing of power. When someone has hurt you, you are in charge for a while. When you refuse to forgive, you are holding on to a power you have over another person. Somehow it feels good to put them down as an inferior person or to place yourself above them as a righteously aggrieved person. Forgiveness is impossible if power or control is your way of life. Maybe that is why Jesus almost uses forgiveness as the litmus test of whether or not you're a true disciple.
See, there's this work that God wants to do in every one of us, but he can only do it if we're forgivers. Being a Christian is being a forgiver. I just want to take us just a second and talk specifically here. We need to forgive over and over with help. Let me say that again. We need to forgive over and over with help. We forgive with help over and over. And what I mean by that is, yeah, yeah, we need God's help. Definitely. We also need the help of our community. You need people around you here that are journeying with you, walking with you. And, and I would also go as far to say, sometimes we need the help of a counselor. I know for some of us, we have deep-seated, deep hurt. Someone has wounded us. So, it's so deep. And it's maybe going back decades. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's violence. I don't know. But it's really important that we're on the same page here. Check out this out. Forgiving is not justifying. Forgiving is not justifying. You can forgive someone without telling them what they did was okay. And forgiving does not always mean staying in the relationship. And forgiving sometimes takes a really long time. And I don't know about you, but I find in my life, I tend to keep putting people back up on the hook even though I took them off the hook. And then I put them back up the hook. And then I got to, oh, no, they're up on the, I got to get them back down. Are you, anyone? That's me. But I do that sometimes. Someone has hurt me, I throw them back on the hook. Next time I even see them, they don't even do anything, I might throw them back up on the hook. Or they wound me again, I throw them back up on the hook. Or I reserve several hooks for them. What someone did to you is not your fault. It's not your fault. But moving forward into forgiveness and freedom is something that only you can do. No one else can do that for you. You can invite God to set you free even after all these years. One of the best ways, even in my own life, is I go and see a counselor. Especially when I'm finding I'm at an impasse. Go and see a counselor seeing a counselor and having them help you work through um, resentment is like, is like physiotherapy. You, if you break your leg and then you say, ah, it feels good, you get up the next day and go for a run, it might not go too well. At the same time, you put a cast on, you don't want to keep a cast on for the next 70 years, even though it's good for holding stuff in. You don't, no, it's not meant to be that way. Physical therapy or the counseling, it's like having an expert, a wise, loving, biblical expert who can help you take the next steps slowly and carefully. When you experience trauma, when you've been wronged deeply, you, you, there's like this feelings of disempowerment and, and disconnection and, and feel like you don't have the power to, to get over this. You don't feel loved. And forgiveness means you don't have to live as a victim you don't have to be alone. You don't have to be defined by what happened to you. And some of us, I know we're trapped here. You're defined by what something did to you that was wrong many, many years ago, and it's your identity. You don't have to keep loving, living under that identity anymore. Your, your, your reality is you're someone who God deeply loves and cares for and paid the debt to set you free and you're whole, and you're strong, and you're capable of things. So when we forgive, we do it with help. We do it over and over again. And we better not expect, like we've talked in the past, in the past for it to happen instantly. It takes time. Sometimes you've got to keep pulling people off the hook. We shouldn't expect that it happens all at once. Now, I'm sure you've experienced this. Someone lets you off the hook. Someone forgives you. 
and, and then you put them back, and, 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 then, and then they put you back on it. Well, Joe, what am I supposed to do if someone has me up on a hook? We're going to talk about that next week. But over and over, with God's help, little by little, God starts to do in your heart the work that he's been wanting to do all along. I want to ask you a couple questions just as we close today. And I'm going to have a test play a song that I think is just brilliant. It's by the band Whiteheart. It's like 30 years old. So bear with it because that's my kind of music. Um, but I want to encourage you, if you want to pull out your inserts, if you just want to grab a card, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And you can write them down. You may not want to write them down because the person you're sitting beside is the person you may have issues with, challenges with. But I want to ask you to go on this journey of what it means to take someone off the hook. So first question I want to ask you is who do you need to let off the hook? I just want you to take some time and think about that. Is there anyone? Maybe today it's, it's a phone call you need to make. Maybe it's a letter you need to write. But who is that person or persons? Just, Joe, you don't know. They wronged me. I can't let it go. Yes, you can. With God's help. Maybe like if there's nobody. Next question for you. What would your life be like if you could walk away from the pain of the past that has come to define your present? What would, it look, what would your life look like, be like, if you could walk away from the pain of the past that has come to define your present? This is not easy stuff. I know this isn't easy stuff. I put myself through stuff like this all the time. I know people's careers that have been defined by resentment and past and journeys and identities. Maybe today you're just writing these questions down, but you don't want to answer them yet. That's all right. But I want to, I want to begin this journey with you if you haven't gone down this road. God wants you to be free. And last question. What's one concrete step that you can take this week toward letting him or her off that hook? What's one concrete step that you can take this week toward letting him or her off that hook? Maybe it's meeting with them for coffee. Maybe it's just like, God, you take care of this. I hand, hand this all over to you. And you write it down. Phone call, an email, a letter. Maybe it's just meeting with a counselor and journeying together. I know this is hard stuff. And if you've done that, and maybe you're doing it in your head, I want to challenge you, especially those of you like, I don't have anyone on the hook. You're probably the person who does have someone on the hook. Okay? I always find denial ain't just a river in Egypt. I find 
those people are usually whenever, oh, that's, really? Then ask someone who knows you that question. Do I have someone up on a hook? Ask someone who you know, ask them that question to describe you and you'll, you may find that you actually do and you don't even, you're not even aware of it. Think about this. God wants to set you free. God wants to change the trajectory of your life if you, and, and allow you, your processor to work fully for him and for his glory. I want to encourage you, if you've done that, if you've done this writing, we'll have this up on the website too. Go back, put that card in a place where you can just be reminded of it, reminded of it. Because if you're like me, you need to work at this every day. Let's pray. God, thank you. And I know for a lot of us, are like, why are we talking about this again? I've heard this talk a million times. Because <sighs> you demonstrated your love for us while we were still your enemies and you died for us. That's why you forgave everything so that we could be free. And may we not let that leak. May we be reminded of that here now today as we leave, as we go. When we have lunch today, may we sit there and marinate and stew and rejoice about what you've done and help us never to stop getting tired of asking and regaling and enjoying and remembering what you've done. And in turn, God, um, help us to be like you. Bless you. Help us to do any deep soul-searching. Holy Spirit, work in us and through us. Help us not to look at others, but help us to examine our own hearts right now when it comes to this issue. Is there anything that needs to be freed, released, let go? Is there anyone we've left dangling? Oh, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us maybe just to be humble, seek out help of others. Seek out that real other help if we need it. Um, help us. Help us to be uh, free. And that freedom that can only really and possibly ever come from you. In your name we pray. Amen.